Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I serve on the team with Converge Northeast and we have a extra special conversation to bring you today, a conversation all about marriage and ministry and what does it look like to be healthy in that. And joining me uh, in in just a couple minutes is Craig and Coletta Smith, uh, who in addition to serving Craig's on staff. He leads Mission Hill Church out in Colorado. And Coletta, as you're going to hear about in the interview, uh, leads an incredible ministry alongside that connects with pastors' wives. And they are uh, just an incredible couple. And we get to interact with them even more. So if you enjoy the interview, sign up for our Anchored uh, Marriage Retreat. That is coming up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire this April, April 24th to 26th, Anchored Marriage Retreat. And we are really excited to be in beautiful Portsmouth. We have a great hotel, the Hilton Garden Inn. It is right in downtown, walkable to all the shops, all the good eateries, right by the harbor. You can walk to all those places. And we are going to have some great content, some great sessions, some great worship, some great teaching by Craig and Coletta. And we have plenty of time in the schedule to relax, to go find some food in town. Uh, And it's just an incredible uh, weekend. We did our first retreat last year and it sold out and we're excited to be able to do this again this year. If you want to know more about that, jump on our Instagram at Converge Northeast, uh, or you can check out our website, convergenortheast.org. But right now, I just want to jump right into this conversation. There's a lot of things that uh, we're affirming, a lot of just great insights, and I know you're going to love this conversation. So without any further ado, here are Craig and Colette Smith. Well, friends, I'm honored and excited to be joined by two amazing kingdom people. Welcome, Craig and Coletta Smith. Thanks for jumping on today. Well, thanks for having us, Andy. Yeah, I love to be here. And our paths crossed out in your neck of the woods, which is Colorado. Last summer, I was out there with my wife, Bethany, for a Converge conference that your host, your church hosted. And, um, you know, your church was so hospitable. Uh, it was a great, great time of engagement. Um, Craig, I, I loved your heart that came through as you spoke and also just love connecting with Colette. And we'll talk about what you do with pastor's wives today. And it just really, um, when I meet people like you, I just try to find excuses to do ministry together. Mm-hmm. And so as we'll talk about today, you guys are going to come from beautiful Colorado to beautiful coastal New Hampshire this spring in April for our anchored uh, couples retreat for ministry, uh, for ministry families. But today I want to just talk about your story and your heart and especially around ministry and marriage. And in the Evergreen podcast, we talk a lot about leader health. And obviously we need to have healthy marriages in ministry in order to be healthy as we serve others and as we walk with Christ ourselves. So let's start today kind of zooming in. What is today's reality? I heard there's some snow in Colorado, but beyond the weather, what are the realities of life and ministry for you guys in this season of life? Sure. Claudia, you want to take the lead on that one? I'm sure. I'd love to. So um, after about 20 years at our previous church, which is only about 20 miles from the church home where we get to serve right now, um, we, we, God called us just suddenly and really out of nowhere um, to, to move. And that was about six and a half years ago. And I found that all the things that I had been doing for the last 23 years, like leading and 
developing all of the women's Bible studies and producing um, mentoring programs and all of that had been, was being done and done really well at our new church home. So I didn't want to disrupt that. But I also, God has built me to be a leader and a builder and a developer and um, like just some of those places where I could just plug in and press auto, auto play just were not feeding my soul. So um, I spent several years trying to figure out where my space was in such a big organization. Um, and even though I was loving this new place that God has called us to, like just, it was so exciting to be able to um, deploy and empower people across the world, um, for really for the first time. Um, I loved that, but at the same time, I kind of felt um, spaceless, like there wasn't a, a space for me. And it led me also to feel a little bit like passed over and uninvited because I couldn't find that place. So it took me a little while to realize that um, I'm going to borrow some words from Lisa Turkhurst. She uses the phrase passed over or I'm sorry, not passed over, but saved for. And so I realized that God had saved me for a specific space. And that space was alongside, which we can talk about later. Um, and this, ha it has been invigorating. But also, I found a space at Mission Hills um, that my primary role there is to increase Craig and my presence in places where he just doesn't have the bandwidth to be at all times. Like speaking encouragement to our staff and mentoring staff and uh, meeting with them and seeing those that are hurting, all of those spaces that there just isn't enough of him. So um, love being able to do that together. And then also just seeking God's direction. And when Craig is wrestling with a decision or even just the weight of leading a body that is this large um, with such complexity, um, I can be together in it with him and we can wrestle together with where the Lord is leading. So yeah, it's been kind of like searching and seeing this next step where God, where God would lead me in a new way in the season. Yeah, that's great. And and Craig, on your side of things, um, you're leading Mission, Mission Hills is the name of the church, right? I'm correct in that. That's right. Yeah. And um, you've been there so six and a half years. What is uh, what is this season of ministry look like for you? Yeah. Uh, so make, Mission Hills is a mega church and that word has positive or negative connotations, I think, depending on who you're talking to. I'll be honest. I think uh, when I was getting started in vocational ministry, uh, mega church. I didn't really know they existed. The only ones that I knew existed, I didn't have good associations with. I, I you know, <laughs> to me, a mega church was oh, that's a televangelist church kind of a thing. So moving into the realm of mega church leadership was was a little strange. Uh, one of the things that I have discovered, much to my my joy, is that a lot of perceptions of mega church pastors in general are mistaken. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think mega church pastors, okay, they're the big televangelists, they're the big personalities. Honestly, most of these these people that I interact with, they're they're humble, surprisingly humble, given the size of ministries that God's put them in charge of. They are they are Jesus lovers before anything else, and a lot of times, honestly, they're introverts, which is a little surprising. I thought they were all extrovert, bigger personalities, but a lot of a lot of megachurches are built on teaching, and I think to be a really effective teacher, 
you got to be willing to spend a lot of time alone <laughs> thinking about what you're going to be talking about and praying through scripture and that sort of a thing. And so I actually find that introverts are surprisingly well represented among mega church pastors. But I think probably the biggest challenge for me has been um, actually a joy. I came from a ministry context, like Cleta said, that we, you know, it's a much smaller church. We did everything. Right. I, I designed the sound system. I was the worship leader. Even when I became the lead pastor, I often led worship and moving into a context where there are staff who do those things amazingly, letting go of all those things and, and, and honestly empowering other people to do them and not uh, not stepping on their toes with constant suggestions and ideas. Um, that that took some adjustment. The The blessing side of that is that it means that I get to concentrate on uh, my, my primary gifts as a communicator and as a leader, that that's not a, a blessing that every church leader has. Again, I know that, but it is a blessing to be able to be a specialist and focus in on those things that I do best and let other people do what they do best. So that was, that was kind of an interesting challenge, but also a blessing at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, um, so, I mean, you've kind of described this already, but it, it wasn't necessarily your, your heart's intent to like, Hey, I, when I grow up, I want to be a mega church pastor. And uh, this opportunity, it's, you know, there's also a peculiar nature to uh, moving to a church that's not super far away. And so how did God um, lead you through that process uh, and guide you through that and kind of, um, you know, lead you towards a yes? Yeah. So there's honestly a, a, a lot behind that story. Uh, I'll give you the the quickest snapshot I possibly can. I really didn't want to be a lead pastor at all. Forget lead pastor of a mega church. I just didn't want to be a lead pastor. I was a worship pastor. So on the road as a speaker, communicator, um, serving in a church that the, the senior pastor left, left pretty abruptly. Not a moral failure or anything like that, but but literally one week we were having a conversation about whether or not it was God's will for him to stay in that position. And uh, the next week he told me, yeah, I don't think it is. And I'm not preaching next weekend. So I kind of got pulled into the lead pastor role because the the elders of the church said, hey, we, like, we, we need you. So I came off the road and started leading. And then I feel like the frog in the kettle, you know, I didn't realize what was happening. I, then I, you know, I became the interim pastor and then I became the lead pastor and then, uh, God just orchestrated something. And there's a whole story here. We don't have time to go into, but, uh, he orchestrated a move to this church, uh, not far from where we are. And honestly, they just, they had asked me to come speak. They, uh, they were without a pastor had been for almost a year and a half at that point. Uh, I had some friends on the staff, and so I, I I said no to preaching multiple times, six times, I think. The seventh time, Clotus said, you know what, our cars are break, about to break down, and I bet we could use the honorarium to replace or whatever <laughs> needs to be repaired. And so I, I wrote a letter to my congregation because I wanted them to know, hey, I'm not candidating. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm just doing a favor for a fellow church. Uh, but while we were there, there were a series of things that happened. Um, honestly, some some bizarre coincidences, some <laughs> Just weird things that we kind of clicked, and I looked at each other and went, "What is happening?" I mean, we had already literally sent a letter to our congregation: "We're not candidating." <laughs> and then a few weeks later, I had to go back and go, "Hey, you know that letter I wrote? That was one hundred percent true." But I think God might have had something else that we're leaning into. Um, so, yeah, long, long, long story there, but yeah. it, God just made wow. it clear that He was calling us. Mm-hmm. I, I love your your posture of following, uh, which you know it seems like you both have that kind of wired into you. Like obviously, first and foremost, before leaders of people, we're followers of Christ, and and that yeah. is a reality even in leaders of ministry. 
Um, and I also love that, you know, when we make these grand declarations, uh, how God has a sense of humor about those things. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of missionaries in Africa that grew up saying they never go. So that's, uh, you know, for you, for you as mission sales, that's good. So, um, along this trajectory, uh, how long have you guys been, been married to each other? It'll be 30 years this November. So we're, we're recording this for people who are listening later. We're recording in, uh, beginning of 2023. So this November, 2023, it'll be 30 years. That's great. You got a decade on Bethy and I, so this is we need to we need to learn from you. And uh, as you've as you've been in this journey in ministry, different settings, contexts, obviously a season of itinerant ministry in the church now at Mission Hills. Um, what is what has changed for you in, in sort of your perspective on ministry and ministry and marriage over that those three decades, almost three decades? Yeah, you know, I think the. The heart has not changed. You know, I, we, I really believe that when uh, when God said that for this leave reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. That's old English right there, right? And be joined to his wife, whatever the new translations say. I think for this reason is actually mission. I know people sometimes argue it's for procreation or pleasure and those kinds of things. This certainly entailed. But I actually think when God says for this reason, marriage will happen, it's actually for mission. It's so that we can accomplish the mission that God's called us to. And so that that has not changed. That's always been a heartbeat for Colette and I from the very beginning. What we've realized is that the, the mission hasn't changed. The the method of engaging in that mission has. Obviously, what Colette is doing is different now. What I'm doing is different now. The way that we do ministry together in terms of specific things that we do, that has changed. Um, but the heartbeat has not changed. Hmm. I was thinking about ways that we have changed as individuals as we approached the marriage mm-hmm. in ministry. And I think I have, I have changed because I, I was pretty prideful as a 20 and 30 something. I was super hard to lead. I had a need to, uh, know that I was contributing something of value to the table and, um, it made me not very teachable. So um, as I look back on those times, I think that that's a way that we approach. Uh, I, re- I approach our ministry marriage with a little bit more humility as I've gotten older. Well, and I think I would say too, I wasn't that great a leader when we were young mm. and there were places where Cleta saw things that we probably needed to be leaning into more than I was comfortable doing. So yeah, she might have been a little hard to lead, but I actually would prefer that, right? I, I'd prefer to pull back sometimes than to have to, to kick. Um, and Cleta definitely has always been a partner that is at full tilt. Um, and yeah, and I, I wasn't super good at leading, so we had a lot of that to learn together. Now, now every ministry marriage is unique, and obviously every context has its uh, different dynamics. But you guys have had seasons where it sounds like you have been very directly co-laboring and maybe still do on certain things. And then there have been seasons where it's sort of parallel tracks, uh, again, not going to divergent paths, but doing different different things. Um, how have you navigated? I think that's a challenge that a lot of couples face and some of it's season of life, um, you know, depending on the age of your kids or family dynamics. But um, how have you navigated the, the time, you know, the times, the joys and hardships of being closely working together and other times when you may long for that, but God's called you to kind of do things in parallel. Hmm. I can remember the doing things in parallel hit for the first time when we were doing littles ministering with littles when you're, when you have toddlers and 
in little ones at home is is tough, especially if you're wired to like be in the in the thick of it and you have to stay home. So we just um, were really intentional about figuring out some ways that um, I could still be involved in what God was doing outside of our home, because I do believe that um, discipling our children and raising them up to love Jesus is is a primary ministry. But I also believe that um, in order to do that well, our kids need to see us involved in kingdom things and reaching out to people that are hurting and, um, and really teaching others how to love him wholeheartedly. So, um, so it's both about what Jesus is doing outside our home, but it's also about what he's doing in my kids' hearts as they are involved in ministry too. Um, because we really believe that God calls the family, he calls us all, all of us. It's no accident that our kids are in our family. And, um, so helping them to embrace that in the good and the hard um, really binds us together. So it was things like um, regularly we would pack a picnic and come to Craig's office and eat a picnic on the floor because that may be the only time that we would see him that day. Um, or we would um, show up early. The kids regularly came to church early on Sunday mornings with their PJs on and we'd just throw their clothes into the um into the diaper bag. And they just got into that rhythm of what this is like to do ministry as a family. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the things that we've had to do over the years, we haven't always done it well. The reality is that I, I think, let's be honest, marriage is, marriage is tricky, especially if you have two people that are coming together mm-hmm. that are not identical, mm-hmm. which is the formula for great marriage, but it's also <laughs> the formula for marriage where there's a certain amount of conflict, right? Um, it's not an easy thing to figure out how you bring those two different sets of gifts and, and visions and Cleta has all kinds of vision and all kinds of gifts and all kinds of motivation and leadership skill. So when you have two people bring those together, figuring out how do you, how do you mesh these in a way that's cohesive is not an easy thing. And I just, I want to be blunt and say, Hey, we have not always done it well. We don't always do it well right now, Mm. but we're committed to constantly working through it. I think one of the things that we've had to do over the years is, figure out that like we got to be really upfront about expectations. You know, I think expectations drive so much in terms of, of conflict in, in marriage or in any relationship. And unless we get them out on the table, uh, they're going to cause damage. They're going to do their, their work without us even realizing what it is. And so I think we've, we've leaned pretty hard what we've done well over the years. We don't always do it immediately, right? Yeah. Sometimes we have to figure out, oh, oh, we need to talk about expectations here. But I think in general, we, we've had a pretty good track record of identifying that sooner rather than later, not as soon as we should sometimes, but sooner rather than later and putting expectations on the table. And then we can sort through, is this reasonable expectations? It's an unreasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. If it's reasonable, okay, what adjustments do I need to make for her? What adjustments does she need to make uh, for me? But a lot of conversation about expectations. Mm-hmm. I think one more thing I would add is that, Craig, it, it took a couple of years for us to come to this place, but it seems like one day he walked in the door and it, it was like a light bulb had gone on and he realized that he was in charge of like stewarding all of the gifts that we as a couple had been given. Mm-hmm. So that that responsibility of him looking at like my list of things that I have to offer to Jesus and his kingdom, he was in charge of like, okay, I need to make sure that she is 
like thriving, not just surviving and looking for those places where I could flourish um, and offer all that, that I have um, to what God is doing. Um, that was pretty empowering and it inspired a trust that he had his eye on that where um, sometimes I think when we talk about this whole submission and, and especially in ministry marriages where there's a feeling of, at least from the wives, this is his gig I just show up to be like the accessory or the supportive, I'll be the supportive wife, but um, this isn't really my thing. Um, that he had his eye on me and and the gifting that I had, um, that that's inspired so much trust. Yeah, you. I mean, you hit home for me. We're at a season of, of life transition with the age of our kids and, and new ministry work. And I think that the um, it's easy for me to, we love doing ministry together, but it's easy for me to fall into the trap of Bethany helping me do my thing yep. and not, I, and, and it's, it's been a discipline and a learning and a joy to see that, like, how can I empower her in her thing? You know, and how can I be her big, not just a real cheerleader, but actually support that. So that's a great, really, really good um, thing mm-hmm. to connect into. So um, you guys have already spoken earnestly about this, um, but you know one of the things that, that forges us the most in our faith and our relationships is obviously suffering and the hard times and the hard seasons. And um, as much as you're comfortable or whatever, you, you kind of comes to mind in this. But how has that played a role in who God's made you as a couple today, and how has that helped form? Uh, and, and I think the other question uh, that you can maybe connect to is when you're in those hard spots whether it's your own doing or things that are around you, how do you navigate continuing to do the work of ministry mm-hmm. in an earnest and honest, it can feel hypocritical sometimes to be in those spaces. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, when I think of, of struggling and suffering, I look at how we navigated it in our twenties and thirties and then recent seasons of suffering and struggles. And I think I see a lot of growth in that. I see. So if you ask me about the ways we navigated them early on, not so hot, but, um, the more recent ones I go, okay, Jesus has done some work here. Um, I think when I look back to our struggles in our twenties and thirties, even our early forties, um, a lot of those were around, um, our church that we were investing in the one that we had invested in for 20 years, it went through an eight year period of just hemorrhaging every week we saw families leave. And, you know, it's not just families, it's friends and all of, all of that. And when you've poured that much time, that would have been 12 years in, in something by then it feels, um, a little bit like someone's dying and watching that happen was super hard, but at the same time, it staying in that and God not releasing us and us realizing that if we're going to stay here, we are going to focus on where he is, where he's working and celebrate that. It created a humility. Um, and I particularly saw that in how Craig leads because he would need that humility and that strength in order to bear the weight of leadership in this new context. So that learning to trust through that. Um, now, more recently, like struggles in our family um, and figuring out how to walk through those, especially publicly, is tricky um, because you want to offer them up as as surrendered to whatever God wants to do through them um, and be authentic about them. But you also want to honor uh, Jesus, honor, honor, especially our kids' stories 
and the ones that um, are theirs and hold them kind of sacred, you know? So figuring out how to do that, that's, that's been tricky. Yeah, but we, we operate with the belief that nothing healthy grows in the dark and that when we, when we not only are, are willing to be transparent about, you know, hey, this is not something I do well. I say that messages all the time. Like, I have not figured this one out. In yeah. fact, here's how I screwed it up. Uh, yeah. But, but here's, what I, here's what I'm learning is what God's teaching me. I mean, that's really helpful. But I think the reality is, too, we, we minister to people on a regular basis that are, are they're hurting. There is suffering. There is struggle. There is pain. And it, it can be easy to get into that sort of Christian you know, world where you, you put on the face when you go to church and you assume that everybody else has it together. Your family's the only one that doesn't. And honestly, the, the, the leader is being willing to say, actually, no, we're, here's something that we're struggling with. You know, here's, here's a problem that we're having. It, it, people's guard comes down. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit just can do some work through that. It is a tricky thing. Like Coletta said, we, we went through a pretty, pretty horrific thing a few years ago that are, that happened to our oldest daughter. Um, and, you know, I, there, there was a, there was a time, an appropriate amount of time had passed before we really even talked about this, but there was a time that I said, Hey, you know, we're, we're preaching through something right now, and that would be really useful if I could talk about this a little bit. And, and, and we had a, an honest conversation and, and she kind of gave me some parameters. I'd be comfortable if you said this, but, but not here. And so we kind of worked through that and I was able to share that. And it was, I think it was really helpful for people. I was really proud of my daughter's willing to be vulnerable and, and to live publicly like that. Because again, from the outside, it can look like our family, just everything, everything's going great. Well, yeah, it's because you, you don't know us. You don't, you don't know behind the scenes. Um, so it's a tricky thing, but we're committed to navigating that and being transparent because again, we just don't think anything healthy grows in the dark. Mm. But I think we've yeah, also well said, uh, yeah, I think we've also learned this difference between authenticity and transparency. Mm-hmm. And in alongside, we talk about this a lot because ministry wives like so much want to be authentic, but there's so many places that you just can't walk down those roads of conversation because they are not safe and they're not healthy for your congregation to hear about. Right. So um, we talk, Craig and I remind each other often about um, we're always going to be authentic. Every what you see in me is always real. I'm not going to be fake but I'm going to change the level of transparency depending on the leading of the Holy Spirit and on who's listening and how much they can handle and their, their filters and all of that. Um, so always a hundred percent transparent, but not always a hundred or always a hundred percent authentic, but not always a hundred percent transparent. Yeah. yeah I, and I think your other really good point that Craig, that you raised too, especially with our kids is um, being mindful of how we share their stories and asking permission that it's their stories to share sometimes. And we've, we've walked through some really hard things with our son. And one of the things we've said, it so much aligns with what you guys have said is that it's okay for everybody to know something. And sometimes all this they can know is we're going through a hard time, but somebody needs to know everything in our lives. Like there have to be people in our lives that do know what's going on. And that's kind of the power. I know what you're doing uh, for Pastors Wise Club and alongside. Could you kind of unpack a little bit? Um, you kind of s- describe the journey to get there. This sort of like, God, how do you want to use me? Um, and you have a really incredible uh, work that you're doing now. So describe what that is and kind of how it formed and some of the, like what you're learning in that space working alongside hmm. uh, Pastors Wives. 
So um, in the first, what, 23 years of our marriage, we had ministered alongside different pastors and had um, done a lot of speaking around the country where I would just take a walk with a pastor's wife down at a dirt road in Wyoming, and she would pour out her heart. And it was, interestingly enough, the same things she would talk about in Wyoming, another pastor's wife would talk about in Nebraska or in Ohio or in New Hampshire or wherever we were. And a lot of those themes were the same. And a lot of it had to do with um, the temptation to build a wall up around my heart and around my family to protect myself and my family from the pain that comes from walking alongside people in pain and being in ministry. And if those, those hard things happen often enough, we isolate and we pull back and we don't open our hearts anymore to minister to people and really be engaged. So um, alongside really pushes in on what those challenges are and helping us see the opportunities that are unique because of this particular role that you are in. God has, it's no accident that you're in it. And there's some pieces that no one else can fill. And there's a trust that, especially when your husband is upfront sharing vulnerably from his heart, there's a trust that's built with your congregation that people sometimes just put right over on you. And that can be a beautiful thing because it allows you to step right into their struggle and, um, and help them see Jesus in it. Um, so alongside provides some communities, particularly online that are safe, they're intentional and they're short, uh, commitment times. So they last a semester and they meet four times and then you can re up and, and join another one if you'd like. But, um, the, the hope is that we are pushing into some really intentional conversations guided by some trained coaches so that you can grab a hold of some tools to help you walk with more wisdom and courage. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the gift that that's already been to our region. Mm-hmm. And we're excited to have even more um, of our ministry wives engage with that, that reality. So I want to... Um, pivot a little bit here to talk about uh, transitions. There's a lot of ministry families right now that are, <laughs> a lot of people have considered quitting at some point in the last <laughs> no three kidding. years. Yep. Uh, and then a lot of, there's a lot of movement in the, in ministry. And I don't really talk so much about the external pressures or even the discernment of where to go. I would be curious for you guys, as you navigate a transition as a couple, um, what are some, th- I, and, and it's probably not rocket science, but I think it's important to think through this how do we make sure that our hearts are aligned as we're trying to discern God's heart if he has us to stay or to go? Hmm. Yeah, obviously a, a lot in that as far as how, how do we discern if it's God's will to stay or go? That's kind of the core question there. Yeah, but also doing it in alignment as a couple. As, as a I think sometimes yeah. sometimes that can be a tension. You know, one person is is ready to pack up the U-Haul and the other person saying, no, this is my community. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Well, and we've been there. I think, you know, Cleta mentioned that we, we had years where we were we were seeing a church that we had invested in. We were seeing it hemorrhaging people. Now, I wasn't the lead pastor, but uh, I was I was the associate. I was the worship and sound and preacher and what, whatever needed to be done kind of associate. And I think Coletta was done. I, I didn't feel like we were done yet. Um, 
Cleta was thoroughly invested in the community. She was more done in the sense that she would like to have seen a change in senior leadership. Um, but, you know, she was she was there. She was ready to navigate that transition before I was. Um, so we, we've been there. We, we, we know what it's like to not be on the same page. I, I wish things would just catch on fire and deep voices would speak out of them every time there's a transition that needs to be understood. But rarely is that the case. Um, we were fortunate, I think, when we came to Mission Hills, it was such an unexpected transition and we were so not interested in it. We had pretty close to a burning bush experience yeah. and nothing actually caught fire. But um, we were at Chili's, interestingly enough, when we <laughs> wrote down all the things that had happened and uh, said, how do we explain all these things if God is not actually leading us? And so that was that was a much easier moment of clarity, I think, mm -hmm. than some of the other ones. But I think one of the things that has has to happen when you're trying to to discern a potential transition as a couple is a great deal of patience and grace for the person who's already ready. They, they've got to have patience and grace, and and understand that maybe things aren't entirely what they uh, perceive them to be, and sometimes that God's actually doing something under the surface that that might just take a little bit of time. I think Cleta would probably agree that that was something that, that God taught her in that season when she was ready to see a big transition happen at that church. And, and I was like, I'm, I'm not ready to make that happen. I'm not ready to force that. I'm not ready mm. to you know draw the line in the sand on that one. Would you agree, Cleta? Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, takes that humility that I don't have all the information. And I'm a, I tend to be kind of pushy sometimes. So um, I just had to rein it in and go you know what, I trust Craig's leadership and his wisdom and am going to just back off. Yeah, that, um, yeah, showing deference to one another, patience. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are just really important. I mean, in, in any decision we make, but I think especially mm -hmm. uh, in those those moments of, of decision. And sometimes God's answer is to stay. So, yeah. So um, one other thing that we talk about a lot in, we have a cohort all about transitioning. So leaving one ministry and entering another and how to do that well. And we talk a lot about involving your family in that process, especially the discerning process, because a lot of times we um, are afraid of uh, rocking our kids' boats emotionally. So we don't let them in until everything's decided. We've rented the U-Haul mm -hmm. and we're ready to go. But that is a big mistake because we've missed the opportunity of teaching them to discern God's will. And so for us, we gathered in the living room and got on our knees and spent some time in prayer together and just silence of asking the Lord, where do you want us to step next? What's the next place we're going to put our foot? Not where do you want us in a year, but what's the next place that you want us to put our foot? Um, and I've watched this over and over and over with with ministry families, when they do that, they see God turn their kids' hearts so that the Holy Spirit's gone ahead of them and prepared those kids to be willing to leave and to look ahead to what God is doing in a way that they would have just gone kicking and screaming um, if they had not uh, invited them into this process of we're gonna we're gonna see God's face together and we're gonna decide as a family to walk in obedience. Okay, I, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to push back just the slightest bit. Uh -huh, what you said of there. course. What you said about on our knees in the living room praying, that's all true, but it sounds really spiritual. It does. 
And that's where it ended. That's not where it started. It started, I, we, we went into uh. our kitchen with the both girls there and we said, uh, hey, we just want to bring you in on something. We have no idea what mm -hmm. might be happening. This was very early in the process, but we think God might be doing something. And we laid it out and our oldest daughter went, that's awesome. Let's do that. And our youngest <laughs> daughter went, that is a terrible idea. Why on earth would we do that? Um, so it was not an immediate kind of, and it's not like they're like, you know what, mother and father, we really need to pray. May we pray together? That's not how that right, works. Right, right. We, we talked a lot about it there. And then, you know, we did pray. I mean, we did end up praying through that in our living room, but it, it began much more prosaically, much, much less spiritually. Just, hey guys, this, this is something we think God might be doing. Um, and then bring them in. But again, they were not both on the same page. However, when we did make the move, um, it was it was telling to us that our youngest daughter had come around to going, not, you know, I'll accept it, but yeah, I actually think this is what we have to do as a family. Uh, she wasn't thrilled about it, mm -hmm. but she was clear that it's what God was calling us to. And that for me, that was actually a telling part that we had actually discerned God's will was her change of heart in there. Right, right. Definitely. Mm. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, we can overthink every step of the process, but what you describe as a posture and in the process being discerning to the spirit, so God, God can correct you and get you to the living room on your knees yep. uh, in that, in that as well. So that's a, right. that's a great awareness uh, piece too. You know, as I listen to both of you guys, I mean, uh, Craig, I mean, you have, you were the Swiss army knife of, of church ministry. It sounds like in, in your previous role, <laughs> and now you continue to lead a large ministry in Coletta. Um, you know, you're doing incredible things and you do a lot of things for God. And um, we do that, obviously, starting at a place of calling and, and intimacy with Christ. But how has that been able to be like, how, what does that look like for you in terms of intimacy with Christ, being a follower of Jesus today and not just a doer of ministry? Well, that's a great mm -hmm. question. So I'll go ahead and lay my cards on the table and say um, I'm... I'm probably a little bit counterculture to a lot of the Christian stuff. I, you know, you even just heard it when I said, you know, we didn't start out all that spiritual. It was just a conversation. Um, I, it's just the way I'm wired. Some people I think are deeply wired and get great joy out of, you know, a Christian meditation or going to go on this retreat and that kind of a thing. But um, I think my approach to, to following Jesus is a little bit more on the practical side. Um, I, I'm, I'm less concerned about, do I, do I feel the nearness of Christ today? And, and I don't deny that that's important, and I don't deny that some people have that experience on a regular basis, but that's not what drives me in ministry. I'm driven a little bit more by, here's what I know is, is true, and here's what I know that looks like for me to, to act in obedience to that, and so I'm going to do that. And, and to me, actually, when I, when I live in obedience, I feel connected to Jesus. Uh, it's not necessarily a mystical connection. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had those moments and I love those moments, but I, I'm just the way I'm wired. I'm not necessarily looking for those each, each and every moment. Uh, I think Coletta is wired a little bit more to seek those and to experience those. And I think that's great. But one of the things that I, I tell people in ministry a lot is that, listen, you're, you're looking for fruit, not the watering schedule. And, and I'm stealing that from one of my mentors in ministry. Uh, but he said, you know, what we want is fruit. Like, is, are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we joining Jesus mm -hmm. on mission? Are we seeing that, you know, the fruits of the spirit coming out in our lives? Um, that's what we're interested in. Mm -hmm. How that happens may be different for different people. There may be different watering schedules to produce fruit in different people. And so, you know, don't, don't assume that what really works for somebody else is necessarily what works for you. 
And conversely, don't assume that what works for you is what everybody else needs to be doing in exactly the same way. Hmm. You know, um, like I, I have friends that like we do not have a TV in the house because, you know, like we just don't commune with Jesus when we have a TV in the house. I got a TV in my house and it's on a fair amount of the time. Right. <laughs> but there are other ways that I that I draw close to Jesus for me. Study is a big deal. Hmm. Like I, you know, people will say I've got people will say, hey, listen, you know, you got to have got a devotion time where you're not studying for a sermon. And, and, and here's the thing I do. Um, but it's when I'm studying for the sermon that I actually find the most uh, deep connection to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I feel spiritually fulfilled. Um, I, yeah, I have my morning devotions, but I, that's not usually where I encounter Jesus. Studying is actually where it happens for me. So fruit, not watering schedule has been something that's been uh, significant for me. What, what would you add to that, Cleto? Mm-hmm. Well, you hit it on the head that I tend, I'm a little bit more emotionally wired, a lot more emotionally wired than you are. So um, I had, I've had seasons of life where I just like long for that intimacy, just like I long for intimacy with my husband and that kind of felt connection. But it's interesting that the when Craig and I are able to really connect on a heart level, it's because he show he's showing me that he knows me. He understands me. And he's speaking into something that I am like I'm going through or I'm encountering. And the same is true in my relationship with the Lord that when I when God does something that I can see, oh, God sees me and he's speaking into this place that I'm struggling through or wrestling through. Um I have that sense of his presence and that's what I long for. So instead of, but then it's, it's caused me to, instead of seek this emotional experience that kind of honestly went away a long time ago um, and is very rare. Now I seek to see his presence by, okay, how is he showing me that he sees me and that he's leading me in where to put my next step. Right. So those ways that he shows up that, that is what intimacy with Jesus is looking like right now. Now there's ways that it's fostered more like going on a walk for me out in, in nature that is soul filling, but um, there are much other more concrete ways that God shows me that he sees me and he's leading me. Hmm. And, and I think it varies sometimes season to season. I think we go through different mm-hmm. seasons where we encounter, um, we encounter God in different ways if you had if you had asked me this ten years ago, I would have said, "Yeah, this is not something that that I do or that's meaningful to me." But now, a couple times a year, I, I have a I have a beach. It's or it's uh, Cannon Beach in Oregon. I, I fly out there and I spend two days just walking up and down the beach, and and I encounter God in a in a significant way in those moments. Mm. Ten years ago, that was not something that that was really a part of my life. But in mm. the season of life we're in now, I sometimes found that I do need to do something like that mm. to stay spiritually healthy. I, you know, I we can. I think what happens a lot of times we get involved in ministry and and we do some of our regular practices like like you know morning prayer and reading scripture. But what's happening is we're trickle charging. You know, we're 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 using the battery while we're trying to charge it at the same time. And I have discovered the importance of like I actually need to kind of turn the phone off and let it charge by itself for a while. And I've had to find some ways to do that. And some of what I've 
started doing are things that Clutta has done all along that have been meaningful to her, but weren't particularly meaningful for me in a different season of life. But, but now they are in a different way. And so, you know, I think again, it, it, it it's personality dependent, but I think it's also season dependent. We, um, yeah, I, I love your North star of fruit, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, you know, people in ministry who've been in ministry for a lot of years should see more of the fruit of the spirit in their life, not less. You know, those right. like those are things that we should be uh, seeing and to think more as you described, like one, the uniqueness between people, seasons. Um, and I, I think the gift of growing older is that you get to be a student of the way that God's wired you and you get to learn. Uh, you actually start to discern some of these things like, oh, I know why I was less healthy in that season of life because my rhythms weren't the same, same way. So I'm very similar. I'd say one thing like for Bethy and I, we talk about in ministry is our rhythm is we actually don't, we don't like, we don't try to maintain balance. We try to have the pendulum swing and similar to you, Craig, um, we try to have on our calendar a time where we're going to unplug. And uh, cause I like to be all in, like I like to faith and sweat is where I'm the most alive. Um, and at the same time, any of those times to unplug. So just learning that. So I collided. Did you have something to add, add to that? Oh, just so. that, um, Craig and I are, we talk to all of our new staff. We take them out to lunch and we talk to them about how your, um, what happens when your, uh, ministry, how do we say it, Craig? When you're, what happens when you're, uh, when your worship becomes, becomes your work? work. Yes. Mm. Um, and like we try so hard to separate those, but when, uh, God brings us to a season where they kind of, um, are holding hands, uh, your work becomes a sacrifice of praise and to try to pull those apart is artificial and will just, it just, uh, it's just a waste of effort. Mm. Well, I, I'd love to keep talking. Unfortunately, we get to keep talking in a few months and you guys are going to be joining us in April for our anchored marriage event uh, with Northeast ministry leaders. And first of all, thank you for saying yes to that. And uh, besides the promise of a lobster roll, uh, (laughs) why did you say yes to come join us on the East coast? What are you looking forward to with that? (laughs) Mm Uh, so we're we're in a new season of life. We, we're empty nesters. Our our kids are both out of the house. One one daughter is still at college, so she comes home occasionally. But she has an apartment now, so she doesn't come home all that often. Um, so you know, you, you mentioned seasons. I love that. Uh, we 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 do the same thing. We we don't talk about balance. Uh, I think balance is a search for stasis, and that's ultimately unhealthy. Uh, rhythm is what we talk about, and rhythm is the search for what's appropriate now. So with our kids out of the house, we're starting to figure out some, some things about, you know, this new season of life. And one of the things that we're leaning into is some more of that, like, direct shoulder-to-shoulder ministry together. Um, you know, so when, when kids were little, like Clara talked about earlier, you know, ministry looked a little different than it had before that. Now the kids are out of the house. We think ministry could look like it used to in some ways. Um, and so marriage stuff is something we're actually leaning into. It's interesting. God's given us a number of opportunities where We've got three of them we're in the midst of kind of working on right now together. Uh, so uh, we're, we're just excited about being able to talk a little bit about what some of the things God's taught us through hard lessons sometimes um, about doing ministry together as a couple. Um, so I just, it's a privilege to be able to share some of those lessons and interact with some people that are uh, similarly minded, looking to serve Jesus together as husband and wife, as ministry teams. I'm sure we will learn as much from uh, those we get to hang out with as we will have to impart to them. That's great. 
Well, thank you guys again. We look forward to seeing you in April. And if uh, you're out there and you're in anywhere in the Northeast, we're going to be in beautiful Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right in downtown, walkable to great food, right to the ocean. It's going to be an amazing time together. And you get to spend some time with the Smiths, have some great worship. And uh, it's what, it's not an over-programmed uh, retreat either. We don't have 25 sessions going on. So but it might be another reason you guys said yes. So thank you guys so much for taking time today uh, to do this. And uh, again, we'll look forward to seeing you in the spring. Our pleasure, Andy. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, andy at convergenortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.